There's nothing more authentic to learning about history than discovering the mysteries that lie within it. To me, mysteries are the best part. But what is the fun in knowing everything, right? Today, we're going to be going through some of the most interesting and infuriating mysteries that decorate the ever-evolving landscape of history at people, events, circumstances, and buildings that elude a, com a conventional narrative and leaves us with an ever-burning desire to answer what happened on another episode of The Remedial Scholar. That's ancient history. I feel I was denied critical need to know information. Belongs in a museum, bro. Stop skipping your remedial class. Welcome, one and all. Step right up and claim your prize. What is it, you ask? What is it? It is another episode of The Remedial Scholar. I am your host, Levi, and I th thank you for joining me today. If you're new, thank you for joining us. What's your shoe size? I'm excited for the episode today. I love these list-type episodes that I've been doing, you know, the uh, uh, the experiments episodes and um, the hoaxes. You know, which a couple of those dashed in here and a couple people from those episodes are also dashed in here. So I'm kind of excited. Uh, these, these episodes, these types of episodes are very fun for me and I'm not sure why, but maybe it's because I like a total info dump and that really scratches, you know, my ADHD very nicely. Before we get too far along, some business to attend to. Thank you for the continued ratings and reviews at all the places possible. It's an excellent way to let other people know that... Uh, people listen to the show and that they enjoy it. So if those descriptions fit you, uh, go to your nearest podcast listening method and drop a review if you are able. If not, please just share us on Facebook or on whatever social media you use. Add us to your Insta stories. Share us on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. Lastly, before the mysteries, we of course have to mention the merch and stickers. Email me at remedialscholar at gmail.com for info and stickers. Beyond that, let's get into it. History wouldn't be itself if there were no questions to ask, if every find was conclusive and, you know, gave the researchers every answer they needed. There are questions constantly derived from everyday life. Now expand that across centuries and take away pieces of them here and there. And you have yourself a hotbed for some really great mysteries. Today I'm going to be talking about a wide range of different mysteries. Hopefully some you haven't heard, but of course there will be quite a few you have i'm assuming i think this is also a good jumping off point for future episodes regarding some of the subject matter here so if you hear a story you want to hear more of sound off in the facebook or youtube comments i have the topics broken up into sections biggest mysteries of the last century missing people and unsolved crimes historical and ancient places and then missing historical graves and then lastly ancient objects so with that moving into the first group the biggest mysteries in the last 100 years on a fateful day november 24th which may hey, anniversary is coming up 1971 a mysterious figure operating under the alias dan cooper later commonly referred to as db cooper orchestrated a daring hijack of the northwest orient Airlines Flight 305. This commercial flight, a Boeing 727, was en route from Portland to Seattle when Cooper seized the control of the aircraft, setting in motion a sequence of events that would baffle investigators and capture the public's imagination for decades to come. In a calm yet deliberate manner, Cooper handed a note to a flight attendant revealing his claim to have a bomb on board. <laughs> Funnily enough, she was not actually paying attention to the note, and being a flight attendant in the early 70s, she had been given 
plenty of notes by plenty of men in suits and he had to reassure her that she was gonna run, want to read it so I always found that detail kind of funny. His demands were as calculated as they were unusual, $200,000 in cash, uh, cash, four pair of shoes, and a fuel truck awaiting uh, the aircraft's arrival in Seattle. The gravity of the situation prompted the authorities to comply with Cooper's demands, leading to the release of 36 passengers at the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. In exchange for the hostages' freedom, Cooper acquired the ransom and the parachutes that would uh, play a crucial role in his audacious escape plan. As the remaining crew members in the enigmatic hijacker soared through the skies, Cooper directed the plane towards Mexico City, maintaining a low altitude. It was over the rugged expanse of the southwestern Washington state. It is suspected that he executed a daring maneuver, opening the rear stairway and parachuting out into the night in, with his ill-gotten gains in tow. Despite an extensive and determined search effort, Cooper's whereabouts became an enduring enigma. The money he spirited away has never been fully recovered, adding another layer of mystique to the already puzzling case. In the wake of Cooper's disappearance, a myriad of speculation and theories emerged, weaving a tapestry of possibilities around his fate. Some speculate that he met his demise during the perilous parachute jump. It was nighttime and stormy out, so that makes sense. While others entertained the uh, notion that he masterfully eluded capture, assuming a new identity identity and disappearing into the fabric of society. Money was found in 1980 in a region upstream of the suspected jump point, and this money was identified to the serial numbers of the money that was given to him. There are many ideas, as I've said, that he died on impact, was stranded in the woods, and died there, and or escaped with the help of an unknown assistant. The money that was found also contained an algae on top of it, which one of the people that did research on it essentially said that that money had to be introduced into the water stream in springtime instead of you know late fall when he jumped so kind of interesting to note but i think that yeah the potential is there that it could have just like blown into the water eventually so uh, my favorite of the theories possible theories is that he tricked the crew during the whole event it was noted exactly when and where the pilots felt him lower the shaft on the 727 and you know he he instructed it instructed them to keep the staircase down the whole time so when they landed they had the stairs down in so they landed in reno and they had the stairs down the whole time well um the pilots also noted when they felt you know he jumped so some speculate that if he was military trained as is often assumed about him then he would have been deliberately making motion on the aft stairs to make the pilot think that he had jumped when he could have just waited in the back because there was no way for them to see that he made them stay in the cockpit so he could have just been hanging out in the plane and then when they approached reno he would have felt them start to slow down and some suspect that he jumped near reno which is kind of a <laughs> which is kind of an interesting theory a stereotypical ransom note was delivered to the reno newspaper with clippings from another newspaper like you know how they do it in the movies where it's just like a bunch of clippings of different things it was delivered to the Reno Gazette, probably, I don't know. I don't know what the name was, but it says, uh, attention, thanks for the hospitality. I was in a rut, D.B. Cooper. The hijacking took place on November 24th, as I mentioned, and the letter was delivered on November 29th, which could corroborate this idea. However, you know, eventually tons of letters would be sent in and a lot of people just kind of like messing with the authorities at one point. But this one is, uh, the first one I, I believe in and my research that I found and it's just creepy enough to be real and side note his handwriting on the envelope is kind of neat like go look up pictures it's it's pretty cool looking um I'll post pictures on the 
episode with this episode too. The FBI, recognizing magnitude of the mystery, launched an extensive and exhaustive investigation, leaving no stern unturned. Apparently, no stern, <laughs> leaving no stone unturned in their quest to unveil Cooper's true identity. But despite all their efforts, obviously, since it's on this episode, the case remains unsolved and a riddle to most, uh, standing as one of the most intriguing, perplexing mysteries in American history. So yeah, the legend of D.B. Cooper persists, you know, captivating the collective imagination, inspiring movies, and all sorts of things. Without a Paddle, probably my favorite D.B. Cooper movie, <laughs> um, but he is also in the show Loki. Loki is him, apparently. Another air-related story. Of course, we can't we can't mention airplane mysteries without that of Amelia Earhart. Amelia Earhart was a pioneering American aviator and one of the most celebrated Amer uh, icons, most celebrated and iconic figures in aviation history. Born July 24th, 1897 in Atchison, Kansas, Earhart displayed an early interest in aviation, which eventually led to her to become the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. Amelia's life is marked by a series of remarkable achievements in enduring and an enduring mystery that has captivated the world. Amelia Earhart's aviation odyssey began in 1919 when she attended an air show in Toronto, and this kind of ignited a deep-seated passion for flying, uh, prompting her to take flying lessons in 1921, and then just two years later, she had her own pilot's license, which is pretty impressive, and she was the 16th woman in history to achieve this milestone. In 1928, Earhart's trajectory towards stardom took a significant turn when she was invited to join pilot Wilmer Stoltz, co-pilot slash mechanic, Lewis Gordon on a transatlantic flight, although she didn't, you know, fly the plane, she was part of the part of the crew, and that made her first woman to traverse the Atlantic Ocean by air, even if it was as the capacity of a passenger. Still pretty cool. And that experience kind of just kept pushing her into the spotlight and in 1932 she etched her name in history by becoming the first woman to achieve a solo non-stop transatlantic flight pretty impressive piloting her lockheed vega she covered the challenge route from newfoundland to ireland in just over 15 hours she not only solidified her place in aviation history but also earned her international acclaim and admiration throughout her illustrious career Earhart continued to shatter records and push the boundaries of aviation in 1935 she achieved another milestone by becoming the first woman to fly solo across the Pacific Ocean, navigating from Honolulu to Oakland. Her tenacity and skills in the cockpit made her a trailblazer, inspiring countless individuals. But, of course, all of this tragically overshadowed by her attempt to circumnavigate the globe in 1937. On July 2nd, 1937, Amelia Earhart and her navigator, Fred Noonan, everybody always forgets about Fred, uh, they embarked on an ambitious journey, which, you know, circumnavigation of the globe, no easy feat. I mean, I did it, but <laughs> as stated, I'm no ordinary man. Anyway, <laughs> their Lockheed Electra uh, aircraft was scheduled to fly from uh, New Guinea to Howland Island in the Central Pacific Ocean as they approached the final stretch of their journey, attempting to locate the tiny uninhabited Howland Island. Communication between Amelia's plane and the U.S. Coast Guard began to get, get a little spotty. Despite numerous radio transmission and attempts to establish visual contact, Earhart and Noonan were unable to pinpoint their location. Last confirmed message from Earhart came at 8.43 a.m. stating they were running low on fuel and unable to find Howland Island. Despite exhaustive search efforts initiated immediately after the disappearance, no trace of Earhart 
Newton, or the Lockheed Electra was found. The vastness of the Pacific Ocean and the limitations of the technology at the time made the search incredibly challenging. Theories and speculation regarding the fate of Amelia Earhart and Fred Newton abound. Some proposed that they ran out of fuel, ditched at sea, while others suggest they landed on a remote island and perished. Another theory posits that they were captured by the Japanese and taken prisoner. Despite numerous expeditions, discoveries of artifacts, analysis of radio signals, and Conclusive evidence has remained elusive. The official, the official search was called off on July 19th, 1937, and Amelia Earhart was declared lost at sea. The International Group of Historic Aircraft Recovery and other organizations have continued efforts to solve the mystery, conducting expeditions and research in attempt to uncover the fate of Earhart and Noonan. Disappearance of Amelia Earhart remains an unsolved puzzle, contributing to her enduring legacy as both a pioneering aviator and enigmatic figure in history. Beyond her record-breaking flights, Amelia Earhart's legacy can extends to her advocacy for women in aviation, a vocal proponent of gender equality in a male-dominated field. She became an enduring symbol of courage and determination, and her legacy continues to inspire generations of aviation, aviators and women striking to break barriers and pursue their passion. Now, there are plenty of mysterious deaths in history, and I think most of them are filed under the why or who or where, I guess in Earhart's case, rather than the how. Unless you're JFK, then then every bit of it's kind of a mystery, except for the where. We we know where that happened. Uh, beyond JFK, though, uh, one that is a definite definite like how did that happen is the incident at Dyatlov Pass in January 1959. The group, a group of nine experienced hikers led by Igor Dyatlov, embarked on a challenging trek through the northern Ural Mountains. The journey was meant to be a ski hiking expedition, like a, like a vacation essentially, and all the members were experienced, well prepared, everything seemed normal until the group deviated from their planned route, set up a camp near the eastern slope of the Kolat Siakal, Ooh, a mountain translated as Dead Mountain in the local Man Monsi language. This deviation is already a bit mysterious as it's unclear why they chose to change their route. The eerie events unfolded during the night and the hikers apparently cut their way out of a tent from the inside leaving all their belongings behind. This suggests a hasty and panicked escape, especially given the harsh winter conditions, temperatures around negative 30 degrees Celsius. Some of the hikers were found barefoot or in socks only, uh, raising questions about what could have compelled them to abandon the safety of the tent without proper clothing. The research, uh, the search and rescue team, including fellow hikers and later the Soviet military, discovered the first bodies a mile away from the campsite near a cedar tree. Two of the hikers, Dubanina and Zolotaryov, man these Russian names are crazy, uh, were found with uh, severe chest fractures and internal injuries compared to high-speed car crash. Strangely, there were no external signs of trauma as if they had been su subject to an intense crushing force. As the search continued, more bodies were found at varying distances from the campsite leading to a perplexing scene. Some were found near the remains of a makeshift fire, suggesting that they had tried to keep warm. The investigation also revealed traces of radiation on some of the clothing, adding to an extra layer of the mystery. Theories abound regardless uh, regarding what caused the hikers. There are tons of theories regarding what uh, caused the hikers' deaths. Some speculate natural phenomena such as avalanches, while others entertain the ideas of, you know, 
super normal stuff like a yeti attack <laughs> paranormal theories range from ufo encounters to secret military experiments gone wrong despite extensive investigations d love pass incident remains one of the most enduring enigmatic mysteries of the 20th century uh my personal opinion i i believe in the avalanche theory and one of the guys was found i think his head was like smashed and i remember listening to a podcast i'm pretty sure it was time suck where they were talking about like why <laughs> why would that have have happened and i was thinking that the guy was so cold and like so freaked out that he was just trying to take himself out and had no other way to do it other than try to knock himself out so he could like die in his sleep essentially because he knew he was gonna die that that was my <laughs> that was my idea but not all mysteries involve death or airplanes so uh, we have some heists so that's pretty cool well there's a couple heist related uh, ones in the last century but one is substantially older than the, the last one so we're gonna start with the older one <laughs> the nazi art heist during world war ii or dark chapter in the history of cultural heritage not just because the nazis are just awful but yeah they just really went that extra mile to be the worst of the worst uh as the nazis expanded their control across europe they systematically plundered art collections in the places they put their control into confiscating thousands of valuable artworks from museums galleries and private collections this was part of adolf hitler's plan to amass a grand mu uh, art museum in linz austria which is his hometown showcasing what he considered to be the finest cultural achievements uh the infamous err which is i'm not gonna pronounce that <laughs> it's einsenstab reichsletter rosenberg was a nazi organization tasked with looting cultural treasures including paintings sculpture and other art artworks the looted art was often taken from jewish families intellectuals and institutions targeted by the nazis this campaign of confiscated art was not only a means of cultural domination but a way to erase cultural identity of those the nazis sought to oppress the Monument's men, a group of allied soldiers with expertise in art and cultural per preservation, played a crucial role in attempting to recover and return stolen artworks after the war. The Monument's men to recover and return stolen artworks after the war. The Monument's men worked tirelessly to locate hidden caches of stolen art in various locations, including mines and castles. One of the most famous incidents revolve involved the recovery of artwork stolen from the Althaus salt mine in Austria, where the Nazis had hidden numerous stolen masterpieces. The monument's men, with the help of local miners, discovered thousands of paintings, sculptures, and other cultural artifacts, preventing their destruction and aiding in their eventual restitution. Despite the efforts to recover stolen art, many uh, many works remain missing or have yet to be identified. The issue of restitution and the return of looted artwork continues to be a complex and sensitive matter, with ongoing efforts to trace and return artworks to their rightful owners or their heirs. The legacy of the Nazi art heist serves as a stark reminder of the impact of war on cultural heritage, not just the actual war's impact on the people, and the ongoing importance of preserving and protecting the world's artistic treasures. Next one, uh, more recent, <laughs> the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum Heist is one of the most notorious art thefts in history. On March 18, 1990, in the... Uh, Two individuals disguised as police officers entered the museum in Boston and stole 13 pieces of art valued at over $500 million. The stolen artworks included masterpieces by renowned artists such as Vermeer, Rembrandt, Manet, and Degas. The thieves spent approximately 81 minutes inside the museum, which they tied up the museum's two security guards and proceeded to remove artwork from the walls. Stolen pieces include Vermeer's The Concert, Rembrandt's The Storm of on the Sea of Galilee, Manet's Che Tortoni, 
Despite extensive investigation by the FBI and other law enforcement agencies, the stolen artworks have never been recovered. The identities of the thieves remain unknown and the case is shrouded in mystery and intrigue with numerous theories and speculations about you know, the whereabouts of the stolen art. The Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum continues to display empty frames in the spots where the artwork uh, that was stolen once hung, serving as a poignant reminder of the unsolved crime. The museum has offered substantial reward on information leading to the recovery of the stolen pieces. I believe it's around $10 million, but you know the art has not been returned. If you know anything, go ahead and tell them and, ju and just share the reward with us. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Solid mill, I think, would help the show immensely. <laughs> with that, we drift from missing art to missing people. The next section brings uh, the most famous missing people and unsolved crimes, which I realize that the, you know, Isabel Stewart Gardner heist is considered an unsolved crime, but, and I guess most of the ones before, <laughs> but not all of these are within the last century, so I had to break it up in a different way. Obviously, a lot of the crime in the history of ever goes unsolved. That's not lost to me, but not all of them captivate people's attention in the same way as these ones, in my opinion. The Axeban of New Orleans is first up, refers to a mysterious and unidentified serial killer who terrorized the city of New Orleans, Louisiana, Nolens, um, <laughs> in the early 20th century. The Axeman's reign of terror is generally believed to have occurred between 1919 or 1918 and 1919. The Axeman was known for breaking into homes and attacking his, attacking his victims. <laughs> You're going to be surprised by this an axe um the attacks were brutal and the killer often used an axe that belonged to the victims or was found at the crime scene which is kind of interesting like he didn't bring his own and why did everybody have so many axes back then i don't know i don't have one axe in my house so i guess i'm safe the axe man's victims were typically italian american and maybe that's why do italian americans all have axes anyway uh, the attacks seem to focus on the city's Italian immigrant population. One peculiar aspect of the Axeman's crimes was the bizarre letter that he supposedly wrote to the local newspaper, or letters. In one letter, the Axeman claimed to be a supernatural being who would spare anyone playing jazz music in their homes on a particular night. This led to a night known as the Axeman's Jazz, where the city's residents played jazz music in their homes to protect themselves from the killer. True identity of the Axeman was never discovered, and the murders abruptly stopped as mysterious as they began. The case remains unsolved, and the Axeman's identity and motives have been became a uh, subject of much speculation of folklore yo is it supernatural was it just for the plot of american horror story who knows legend of the axeman of new orleans has endured leaving an indelible mark on the city's history and adding an element of chilling mystery to the unsolved crimes from the dark streets of New Orleans to London we go. We jump back a few decades and of course we're traveling to the Whitechapel District. Of course, we have to. Jack the Ripper is one of the most infamous and unidentified serial killers in history. Responsible for a series of gruesome murders in the in and around the Whitechapel District of London in 1888. True identity of Jack the Ripper remains unknown and the case has been become a legend and unsolved mystery. The killer is believed to have targeted female prostitutes and the five canonical victims of Jack the Ripper are uh, Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, 
and Mary Jane Kelly. The murders were characterized by a brutal and mutilating nature of the attacks, leading to widespread fear and panic in the White Whitechapel community. The name Jack the Ripper originated from a series of letters and postcards sent to the police and newspapers during the time of the murders. The authenticity of these letters is subject to debate among historians, but they contributed to the notoriety of the case. The investigation into Jack the Ripper murders was, uh, marred by limitations of the forensic sciences in the time of the 19th century and the lack of reliable eyewitnesses a lot of them happen at night it's kind of hard to see especially back then not a whole lot of lights in that area and the challenges of conducting a thorough investigation in the impoverished and overcrowded east london of uh, east end of london despite numerous suspects and theories over the years the true identity of jack the ripper obviously has never been determined the case continues to uh, captivate the public's imagination there's countless theories books documentaries even fictional works that explore the identity of jack the ripper mysterious the mystery surrounding these unsolved murders has become an enduring part of true crime true crime lore and the name jack the ripper remains synonymous with the archetype of an unidentified and elusive serial killer and another name synonymous with the archetype of an unidentified and elusive serial killer is the zodiac uh, the zodiac killer is also you know unidentified person who operated in the northern california during in northern california not the northern california uh during the late 1960s and early 1970s and is linked to um several murders and claims responsibility for quite a few more than police think he actually did confirmed murders attributed to zodiac killer included those of david faraday betty lou jensen in december 1968 darlene farron and mike majot in july of 1969 cecilia shepherd and uh, and brian Brian Hartnell in September 1969 and Paul Stein in October 1969. Killer targeted young couples in isolated areas for the most part and the crimes were characterized by a level of brutality and chilling lack of motive. Zodiac Killer gained notoriety for sending taunting letters and cryptograms to the media and law enforcement. Killer claimed to enjoy killing people and threatened to continue the spree unless his letters were published in the papers. Letters uh, the letters contained complex ciphers, some of which were eventually decoded, but the killer's identi identity remained elusive. One of the most infamous aspects of the case is the Zodiac symbol, a crossed circle with a line through it, resembling a gun sight, which became his signature of sorts. Letters often included uh, references to the Zodiac as, you know, collecting slaves who would be rewarded in the afterlife. Despite an extensive investigation by law enforcement, amateur sleuths, Zodiac was never apprehended, and the case has spawned numerous theories about the suspects, but obviously remains un unnamed. And there's many theories about <laughs> if he was even real at all, like if some guy was just like i'm gonna pretend i did all of these since nobody knows so that's an interesting theory uh the movie the zodiac with jake gyllenhaal and robert dunn jr that's a great movie david fincher movie Whew, that guy knows true crime let me tell you all right shifting focus from the killer to the family of a victim one of the most infamous cases uh, is it infamous or just famous i don't know uh, especially in the last few decades in the united states one that brings so much confusion and mystery and just heartbreak case of jean benet ramsey it's a tragic high profile unsolved murder that occurred in boulder colorado in 1996 jean benet ramsey was a six-year-old beauty queen who uh was found murdered in her family's home on december 26 1996 circumstances surrounding jean benet's death are mysterious and have led to numerous theories and speculation 
the morning after Christmas in 1996, JonBenet's mother, Patsy, reported finding a ransom note demanding $118,000 for her daughter's safe return. However, later that day, JonBenet's body was discovered in the basement of the family home that she had been strangled and had a, str and had a skull fracture. The case received extensive media coverage. It still kind of does. <laughs> like, uh, And the investigation faced criticism for potentially mishandling of evidence. Yes, uh... I would like to speak on this for a moment. Mishandling of evidence and just the whole house, like <laughs> the crime scene, not securing a crime scene. What did we learn last week with the Hinterkaifeck murders? You gotta, <laughs> you gotta secure the crime scene. We have John Ramsey, her father, finding the body in the basement and immediately like, like holding onto it. And like cops are in the building at this point. Cause they were like, okay, we'll hang out at the house and try to try and figure some stuff out. Apparently nobody searched the basement. So now you have the dad in the basement and now all of his evidence is now introduced because he's there. And it's, it's just crazy. The ransom note in particular raised suspicion due to its unusual length and the fact that, uh, you know, the amount demanded was almost identical to the bonus John Ramsey, John Bonet's father, had received. Other parts of the note that confuse me are the fact that it was written with paper found inside the home and the fact that they, you know, wrote one at all because the kid was already dead obviously the ramsey family became a focus of public scrutiny with suspicion cast on various members of the family including her parents and her older brother burke however the family consistently maintained their innocence and criticized the police investigation we should criticize you because you guys also messed this up despite the widespread attention and various theories surrounding the case no one has been charged or convicted in connection the case remains open and the mystery of who killed her can continues to captivate the public fuel speculation about what really happened in 1996. In my personal opinion, I think the family was involved. You know, my pointing out the parts of the ransom note is pretty much why I, why I think this. You know, why write a note if the child is already dead? Why demand the amount in which, you know, the co coincidentally is the exact same amount as the dad's bonus and the paper use came from inside the home? The answers to these questions we may never have. And Patsy has since passed. She actually died a decade after. And John remains hopeful they will find someone eventually. I know that there was recently a company that offered to do some specific DNA testing and that is newer but um, than what they had back then, but nothing has come of that yet. So obviously remains unsolved. <laughs> All right, so from one in the last few decades to one almost 100 years ago, uh, one of the most notorious and mysterious murders of the United States is that of Elizabeth Short. Elizabeth Short, often referred to as the Black Dahlia, was a young woman whose murder in 1947 remains one of the most infamous unsolved cases in American history. Elizabeth Short was born on July 29, 1924 in Boston, Massachusetts. She was a young woman trying to become an actress. She moved to LA, you know, trying to trying to make it, trying to live that dream. And her life was tragically cut short and her murder became the subject of an insane amount of speculation and media coverage. On January 15th, 1947, uh, Elizabeth's mutilated body was found in a vacant lot in the uh, Limert Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. The brutality of the murder shocked the public. Short had been severely mutilated with her body cut in half at the waist and her face slashed in the corners of her mouth towards her ears, creating a gruesome smile-like effect. Uh, the person who found her body thought it was a 
mannequin at first, you know, because she's missing half of her body. Case received significant attention from the media, and Elizabeth was dubbed the Black Dahlia by the press. Origin of the nickname is due to the black clothing that they found at her places of residence, and also a movie called The Blue Dahlia that had came out around that time, which is that kind of helped add to the speculate uh, the sensationalism of this event. And despite all of the attention going on and extensive new investigation and all these suspects and even people who had confessed, uh, the killer was never identified. Although a lot of the confessions were <laughs> deemed unreliable, a lot of people just claiming, which that happens in pretty much every every case. I feel like that's on this list. Like there were people who confessed to Jean Benet Ramsey's murder um and there's you know a bunch of people who confessed to the Black Dahlia that were not even remotely involved so that's I don't know that's kind of a weird thing but um Black Dahlia has uh the case has inspired numerous books movies documentaries further cementing Elizabeth Short's tragic story in popular culture if you've ever played the game LA Noir, that game has you trail a murderer who is very closely inspired by some of the f- most famous murders in early you know U.S. history and Black Dahlia is one of them moving from confirmed murder to straight up well we lost him is a man synonymous with disappearing and a running joke whenever anyone digs a hole pretty much james riddle hoffa god what a perfect middle name uh, known as jimmy hoffa was an influential american labor union leader and president of the international brotherhood of teamsters one of the largest and most powerful powerful labor organizations in the united states born in 1913 hoffa rose to prominence as a charismatic and sometimes controversial figure in the labor movement uh, became involved in labor organization in the 1930s and quickly climbed the rank of the teamsters and uh, became the vice president of the Teamsters in 1952 and then president from 1957 to 1971. Under his leadership, the union grew significantly in size and power, representing a device range of workers, including truck drivers and warehouse workers. Hoffa's involvement in organized crime and his aggressive tactics in labor disputes grew, uh, drew the attention of law enforcement. In 1967, he was convicted of jury tampering, attempted bribery, and fraud, and was sentenced to 13 years in prison. Despite his incarceration, Hoffa remained a powerful figure in the Teamsters through his influential or influence over the union from behind bars. And the mystery around him deepened when he disappeared uh, in 1930 or on July 30th, 1975. He was last seen outside the Moccas Red Fox in Blooming Bloomfield Township, Michigan. Numerous theories and rumors circulated about his disappearance, with many speculating that he was the victim of a mob hit due to his connections with organized crime. To this day, his fate remains unknown. There's a lot of speculation, like he was like under wrigley field or something like that <laughs> so many like crazy theories uh um and i think the Iceman richard Konklinski even um even confessed to having killed him but he confessed to a lot of stuff too so i don't know but yeah so jimmy hoffa all right moving into some of the places around the earth and away from crime and murder so hopefully this is going to be less depressing than the last few were <laughs> um kind of i don't know the first one <laughs> the first one is uh kind of a place but more of an event but you know it's an event of a place if that makes sense. i think it's gonna make sense colony of roanoke uh, I think is taught to every fifth grade social studies class and it remains to be a major event in American history that continues to perplex so many. The Roanoke Colony, known as the Lost Colony, was one of the early English attempts to establish a permanent settlement in the New World. Colony was attempt, uh, the colony was located on Roanoke Island in present-day North Carolina and its myster- mysterious disappearance has, you know, 
become a historical enigma of sorts. The first attempt to establish the Roanoke colony was made in 1585 by an expedition led by Sir Ralph Lane. However, due to harsh conditions, strained relations with the local native population, and lack of supplies, the settlers abandoned the colony and returned to England the following year. In 1587, another expedition led by John White was sent to establish a more permanent settlement. White's group included men, women, and children, including his granddaughter Virginia Dare who would become the first English child born in the New World. However, shortly after their arrival, tensions with the local Native American population increased, supplies dwindled, and these settlers were not exactly prepared for the rugged life in the New World, so White decided to return to England for more supplies. Due to the Anglo-Spanish War and other delays, John White was unable to return to Roanoke until 1590, which is a crazy amount of time. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's not now, I guess, but I don't know, especially when you're like, your colony's already on the brink of stuff, like bad things happening, and you're like, ah, man, three years is a long time. When he arrived, the colony was deserted, and there was no signs of the settlers. Only clues left behind were the word Croatoan carved into a post and the letter C-R-O carved into a nearby tree. These mysterious markings led to the theories of speculation of the fate of Roanoke colonists. This seems to be very confusing marker, but uh, the settlers, along with White, had actually made a plan while that while he was gone, because he knew it was going to take a long time to return, stated that if they decided to move from the initial colony to carve their new destination in a post or tree, White had mapped out their area and they all were in ownership of said map, so they all knew what names to call it which areas so the theory is that they relocated to an island near where they were located and the location was called Croatoan that island was called Croatoan there's tons of theories about the disappearance of the Roanoke colony including assimilation with Native American tribes attacked by hostile Native Americans and possibly the colonists like I said relocated to a different uh location but despite the efforts to uncover the truth the fate of the lost colony remains one of the enduring mysteries of the American history and story of Roanoke continues to capture imagination of historians and the public alike. For the next step, we will be traveling from the east coast of the United States to the islands of Japan, uh, supposed underwater ruins of Yanaguni. Yanaguni Monument, also known as Yanaguni Submarine Ruins, is a mysterious water structure, underwater structure located off the coast of Yanaguni, um, which is one of the Yaima Islands in Japan. Discovered in the late 1980s by a local diver, the site has sparked debate and speculation about its origin, whether it's a natural geological formation or man-made. Yanaguni Monument consists of large flat rock formations with distinct like sharp angles, stair-like terraces and columns. Some of the formations appear to resemble pyramids, platforms, and other architectural features. The depth of the site ranges from, from about 5 to about 40 meters, so 16 to 131 feet below the ocean surface. Various theories have been proposed regarding the origin of the Yanaguni Monument. Some researchers and geologists argue that the structures are a result of natural geological processes such as tectonic activity and erosion. They suggest that the formation could be the remnants of sandstone and sedimentary rock layers shaped by the forces of nature. On the other hand, proponents of the idea that Yanaguni Monument is a man-made structure that's just been kind of like slowly covered up by different sediments and things um argue that you know with the precise right angles parallel lines and other features are indicative of human construction some theories uh theorists have even speculated the site could be remains of a lost ancient civilization 
It's probably Atlantis, dude. Debate over Yanaguni Monument continues. Despite having various studies and investigations, there knows, there's no consensus. But it's really cool. And if you go, like, you can look up pictures of it. It's pretty spectacular. Whatever it is, it's cool. From lines underwater to lines in the sand, next mysterious place would be Nazca, Peru. The Nazca lines are a series of ancient geoglyphs located in the Nazca Desert of southern Peru. These massive designs were created by removing the reddish-brown iron oxide-coated pebbles that covered the surface of Nazca Desert, revealing the light-colored earth underneath. Revealing the light-colored earth underneath, lines form various shapes including geometric figures, animals, and human-like figures. The Nazca lines were created by the Nazca people who lived in the region between 500 BCE and 500 CE. The purpose and methods of creating these enormous figures remain the subject of speculation and debate among archaeologists and researchers. The lines were largely ignored until the advent of air travel, obviously. Um, <laughs> I can't really tell what this thing is. Uh, when they were first spotted by commercial airlines in the 1920s. The discovery of the Nazca lines captured the public's imagination and theories about their uh, purpose and significance abound. I used to use Google Earth to travel around them and check them out, you know. Uh, and in fact, as soon as I started typing this line, I opened up Google Earth for old time's sake to do it again. And that was a lot of fun. I'm glad I did that. Um, it's so crazy to see all the intricate lines uh, from like straight up and down and then pan the camera to see what it looks like from the ground. I even like use Google Earth to go to like some of the mountains to see what it could potentially look like from if you were staying on a mountain to to see it. Some theories suggest that the Nazca lines served as an astronomical calendar or were used in religious ceremonies and rituals. It's also an idea that they point towards the solar equinox locations, which, you know, isn't the weirdest thought. Others propose that the lines had ceremonial pathways or were linked to water sources, as the region is arid and water management was crucial for the Nazca people, as it is for most. <laughs> One of the most famous figures is the Nazca spider, which has a body that is over 150 feet long. The Nazca hummingbird Bird, Nazca monkey and Nazca condor among the other well-known figures. No one really knows exactly how these feats were accomplished specifically, but you know, people have replicated this uh the a couple different methods that they believe were used. So, uh, all of these uh designs feature one continuous line to create the shape, which is also kind of cool. Weirdly, the lines in Nazca are not the only geoglyphs in Peru. 130 miles away from the Nazca Plain, a giant drawing sits on the side of a mountain. The Candelabra of the Andes, also known as the Candelabra of Paracas, is a large geoglyph located in Pisco Bay area of Peru, near the town of Paracas. Makes sense. It's a massive figure etched into the sandy hillside, resembling a three-branched candlestick or candelabra. The geoglyph measures about 595 feet in height and is visible from the sea. The exact age and purpose of the candelabra remains uncertain, adding an era mystery to this ancient artwork. Some theories suggest that it served as a navigational aid for sailors, while others propose religious or ceremonial significance. Since it is like in a bay, uh, or near a bay, and it does look like a candelabra, I'm like, how cool would it be if this is like their version of lighthouse, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's, I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but it's kind of funny. Anyway, moving from one part of the globe to another, let's go to ancient Rome, where we'd all rather be, right? Library of Alexandria was one of the most famous and significant libraries of the ancient world. It was located in the city of Alexandria, Egypt, and was found, which was, you know, founded in the 3rd BC. Uh, and the library was built by Ptolemy II Philadelphus. 
the ruler of Egypt at the time. The library aimed to collect, preserve, and disseminate knowledge of from various parts of the ancient world, housed an extensive collection of scrolls, manuscripts, and writings from the different cultures and civilizations. The library attracted scholars, scientists, intellectuals, making it a center for learning and research. The exact and size and scope of the Library of Alexandria remain a matter of debate among, among historians with estimates ranging from 40,000 to 400,000 scrolls. Unfortunately, the library's fate is a tragic one. Over the centuries, it's faced multiple incidences of damage and destruction, including a fire in 48 BCE during Julius Caesar's siege of Alexandria. <laughs> Whoops. Um, no, I don't, I don't know why I feel obligated to, like, uh, apologize on his behalf, like he's a drunk friend you're trying to wrangle in or something. <laughs> anyway, like, hey, Levi, that, get your boy, dude, he burnt down the library. <laughs> anyway, um, this also had later incidences during, uh, conflicts between the Romans and various factions that continued to lead to its demise. The destruction of the Library of Alexandria is a historical loss, as it is believed that many irreplaceable works and knowledge were lost. The story of the library has become a symbol of the impermanence of knowledge and the vulnerability of cultural heritage. Despite its demise, this, the Library of Alexandria remains a powerful symbol of the pursuit of knowledge and cultural achievements around the ancient world. Sometimes the historical places do survive, but the existence of it you know, leads to the real mystery. The Plain of Jars is a mysterious archaeological site located in the uh, Xinquin province of Laos. Uh, the plain is scattered with thousands of large ancient stone jars, some of which are over 2,000 years old. The jars vary in size, with the largest ones reaching up to 10 feet in height and weighing several tons, which is almost too heavy. Uh, purpose of the jars and the civilization that created them remain enigmatic. Theories suggest that uh, they were used for funerary per practices, possibly as burial containers for the dead. Other purposes that the jars were involved in ancient rituals, such as the fermentation of rice wine. The site is also believed to be associated with prehistoric bur burial practices though many aspects of its history are still speculative. Plano Jar has faced challenges including damages from bombing during the Vietnam War which left some areas littered with unexploded ordnance. Not good. Despite these challenges, efforts have been made to preserve and study the site, shedding light on its historical and cultural significance. Mystery surrounding the Plano Jars continues to captivate archaeologists and historians alike. So we now travel across the Pacific from Laos to islands featuring massive stone sculptures who also survived past the the people who built them, but their efforts are the parts that baffle pretty much everybody. Easter Island, known as Rapa Nui in the in indigenous Polynesian language, stands as a remote and captivating gem of the southeastern Pacific Ocean. Renowned for its enigmatic monumental statues, the Maui the island, ha uh, island has woven a narrative of ancient craftsmanship, environmental challenges, cultural resilience, and archaeological intrigue. Nestled in the vast expanse of the southeastern Pacific, Easter Island is a territory of Chile, situated approximately 2,300 miles off the Chilean coast, which is quite a bit. Its extreme remoteness contributes to its distinction as one of the most isolated inhabited islands globally, adding to... Uh, you know, an air of mystique to its allure. The Maui, of course, is what we all think of the <laughs> Easter Island heads. Well, they're not heads, they're huge statues. They're colossal stone statues, um, and they are the most iconic feature of the island. Carved 
from compressed volcanic ash during a period uh, spanning the 13th to the 16th centuries. These imposing figures were crafted by the skilled hands of the Rapa Nui people. Some Maui soar to the heights of 33 feet and weigh an astonishing 80 tons in their position on ceremonial platforms called Ahu. The Maui serve as uh, silent sentinels, testament to the island's rich cultural history. Now, in addition to the Maui, there's um, a lot of different things along Easter Island that are pretty impressive. Um, some of the systems of writing, uh, a unique system of writing known as the Larongarongo, um, which is still pretty mysterious. Nobody knows exactly what it means, like uh, the writing means. So that's kind of adds to it. <laughs> so we got these massive statues and then the writing system. And like it's suspected that environmental degradation has led, uh, led to or played a role in the societal collapse on the island, underscoring a delicate balance between human endeavors and the natural environment. European exploration reached Asia Easter Island when Dutch navigator Jacob Roggeveen first set foot on the shores in 1722 on Easter Sunday. That's why it's called Easter Island. And then subsequent East, uh, European contact brought diseases, cultural disruptions, and enslavement significantly impacting the Rapa Nui people and their way of life. Ongoing efforts are dedicated to the conservation of its cultural and archaeological treasures, ensuring that the mystery of how the Rapa Nui people carved and transported um, these massive stones, you know, uh, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. There are ongoing efforts uh, that are dedicated to conservation of its cultural and archaeological treasures, you know, trying to preserve the Rapa Nui people's history, essentially. Continuing the theme of massive stone construction, we could not continue without, of course, traveling to Stonehenge, nestled majestically on the uh, Salisbury Plain in Wiltshire, England. Stonehenge stands as an unparalleled prehistoric monument captivating the imagination of global visitors who are drawn to its iconic and enigmatic presence. This archaeological masterpiece has become a symbol of human ingenuity, prompting an in-depth exploration into its mysteries. The evolution of Stonehenge unfolded over a remarkable 1500 years, initiating its construction around 3100 BCE and culminating to its final form in around 1600 BCE. The monument's designs include uh, design includes a circular arrangement of imposing standing stones known as uh, sarsens, elegantly crowned with lintels. It closed with its outer circle as an inner horseshoe formation of smaller blue stones believed to have been transported from a distant uh, Presley Hills in Wales. Throughout history, the purpose and function of Stonehenge have been the subject of fervent speculation and debate. These have emerged proposing diverse roles, such as an astronomical observatory, a religious or ceremonial site, or even burial grounds. The alignment of the stones with celestial events, including solstices and lunar cycle, intensifies the enigma around it. The, the construction of Stonehenge stands as a testament to extraordinary engineering and logistical prowess of ancient civilizations. This is probably one of the big things that people are confused by like whoa these things are crazy how do they do it um and nobody knows exactly 100% sure how they did it specifically but people have been able to replicate Stonehenge's massive stone movements with different um different technologies that could have been used at that time beyond a physical structure Stonehenge carries a profound cultural significance representing 
an enduring symbol of ancient British culture and the capabilities of prehistoric societies. Despite its enduring allure, Stonehenge is not immune to the passage of time, prompting ongoing conservation and preservation efforts. It does have millions of people visit pretty much every year, like it is very popular. Access to the stones is carefully restricted, though, uh, to protect the site, with special events such as summer and winter solstices providing exclusive opportunities for limited access. My high school art teacher, Miss Babbitt, shout out to Deb, told us a uh, story about going to Stonehenge with her daughters one time uh, during a solstice of some sort, I'm pretty sure, uh, while she was on vacation, and she said that there were tons of people there, and as the sun rised, the smoke like appeared on the ground and like all over the place and it was like all of a sudden very smoky and then she was quickly overwhelmed with the smell of marijuana <laughs> which which is pretty funny <laughs> like the, a bunch of hippies were like we're going to Stonehenge man <laughs> anyway um so Stonehenge continues to uh confuse and so anyway as an archaeological marvel Stonehenge continues to stand as a testament to ancient human achievement so well and we still don't know what, what or why which is why it's on this list next section is missing graves of some of history's famous people first ones that i knew about almost instantly when i concocted this idea were those of alexander the great genghis khan and attila the hun as well as cleopatra but uh, i found some interesting ones as well not that these people aren't interesting but they're just the most common in my research so anyway starting with the oldest and moving forward location of alexander the great's tomb ignited centuries of speculation alexander i'm pretty sure you've heard of him but if not surely a monumental figure in history uh <laughs> renowned for his extraordinary military prowess and conquering of such a vast region at such a young age but he met his end in 323 bc at the age of 32 this marked a conclusion to his far-reaching conquests and initiated a quest to find an appropriate resting place for the legendary military leader alexander died in babylon a city which was under his rule his body was placed in a lavish gold coffin and later trans transported to memphis in egypt ptolemy ptolemy a uh, trusted general of alexander assumed the responsibility for the remains and envisioned you know interring alexander in Alexandria, the city which he founded and named. Makes sense. Ptolemy had uh, claimed to have laid Alexander the re to rest within a grand mausoleum known as the Soma, enclosed in a golden coffin. However, the exact location of this tomb remains veiled and uncertain, with historical accounts presenting conflicting narratives. Alexandria, with its profound connection to Alexander's legacy as the city which he founded, con was considered was considered a fitting site for his tomb ptolemy erected this soma within the city yet the specific spot whether in the renowned the library of alexandria or in the royal quarters remains a mystery and the fate of his tomb is intertwined in the uh, shifts of power of alexandria gradually fading into obscurity amidst uh changing rulers and the city's tumultuous history during the roman era emperors like augustus paid homage to alexander by making pilgrimages to what they believed to be his tomb but it was like we don't really know <laughs> alexander's profound legacy extends beyond his military conquests influencing art literature cultural uh and culture throughout the ages but we don't know where he finally rests there's also contemporary efforts to un you know unearth his tomb finding places but uh none of those were ever successful so staying in the same region but jumping ahead a few hundred years the tragic love story of mark antony and cleopatra once a formidable love triangle now just a regular two two-sided shape uh <laughs> well i guess it would be a circle no i don't know 
The eternal resting place of Cleopatra and Mark Antony is also shrouded in historical speculation. Mark Antony, Cleopatra, in case you don't know, uh, once Caesar was killed, began a love affair, or maybe before, and then they were like, we're gonna rule Egypt, and then Rome was not super pumped about that. And, yeah, so they ended up fighting Octavian, um, and died. Well, didn't die in the battle, but they were defeated by Octavian in the battle, battle of Actium in 31 BCE. Cleopatra and Mark Antony faced a harrowing prospect of capture, so fueled by the fear of falling in the hands of Octavian, Cleopatra chose a dramatic end. She's a big fan of... <laughs> <laughs> She's a big fan of Romeo and Juliet, I guess. She uh, let a venomous snake bite her, so she died. And then, distraught by Cleopatra's demise, Mark Antony uh, <laughs> fell on his sword, quite literally. So, yeah, these guys are a little dramatic, um, but their graves have never been located. Historical accounts suggest that Mark Antony and Cleopatra put together in a golden tomb in Alexandria, Egypt, but location of this place nobody knows and of course there were efforts to find the final resting place of them but uh you know just because of how how long ago it was and the shifting um you know topography of alexandria with earthquakes rising sea levels all that stuff you know it's just really hard so with that we're gonna go in we're staying in the roman empire but we're gonna shift to the western edge on the british isles Boudicca, the formidable Celtic queen of the Iceni tribe in ancient Britain, etched her place in history through her courageous leadership in a major uprising against Roman occupation in 60 or 61 AD. While her rebellion left an incredible mark on the annals of ancient British history, the details of Boudicca's faith, particularly uh, the enigmatic location of her grave, are a mystery. <laughs> Who would have thought? In the aftermath of her spirited resistance against Roman forces, conflicting accounts surrounding the circumstances of Boudicca's death, historical narratives suggest that she either fell in battle against the Romans or chose a path of self-inflicted suicide to evade capture, and the ambiguity surrounding her demise extends to the disposition of her body, which makes sense. One prevailing theory proposes that, recognizing the significance of preventing the Romans from desecrating her legacy, Boudicca was clandestinely laid to rest by her devoted followers. The secrecy surrounding the burial site adds to oh, an additional layer of intrigue. Yeah, so the enduring mystery of where this iconic Celtic queen found her final uh, resting place is just that, a mystery. We continue our journey in the Roman Empire, but advance a few centuries into the time of Attila. The grave of Attila the Hun, one of history's most fearsome and influential warriors, remains uh, Topic of historical intrigue, Attila was the leader of the Huns and orchestrated invasions that struck fear into the hearts of both the Western and Eastern Roman empires during the 5th century. Attila died under mysterious circumstances in 453 AD shortly after celebrating his marriage to Princess Ildico? Ild uh, I don't know. I-L-D-I-C-O. Uh, the, uh, the cause of death is debated, with theories ranging from a uh, severe nosebleed to an assassination attempt. Regardless, the, his passing marked the end of an era dominated by his military campaigns. His death also makes me think of like several TV series and movies. I don't know. I don't even know which one I'm thinking of right now, but there's a sh like, I think it's Last Kingdom maybe, where um, a man is killed basically in his sleep. And I'm pretty sure on his wedding night, but I can't now, I don't know. I, I lost it. I'm sorry. Anyway, after Attila's death, he was buried in a triple coffin made of gold, silver, and iron. So many gold coffins. I want a gold coffin. I don't, I don't want it for me to be dead in. I just want one right now. 
So if you're listening and you have one, you can mail it to me. Uh, <laughs> it seems like a you know, awful material to bury people in, but I don't really know. Maybe it's great. The enslaved captives who constructed the tomb were allegedly put to death to maintain secrecy of the burial site. Legend has it that the Huns diverted a river to create a temporary gravesite for Attila and then after burial, re-diverted the waters to cover the tomb. The exact location of his grave is, you know, speculation, but um, some theories place it in Hungary near the Tysa River. While well, it's suggested it's Romania, despite various searches and archaeological efforts, the actual site, obviously, never found. Interestingly, the next guy also allegedly ordered people to move a river to hide his burial. The mystery enveloping the location of Genghis Khan's tomb is also, guess what, it's another mystery who thought... As the founder and inaugural great Khan of the Mongolian Empire, Genghis Khan breathed his last in breath in... 1227 and then strategically veiling the knowledge of his final resting place uh the there's a lot of measures to thwart potential desecration by adversaries who thought to undermine his legacy numerous aspects contribute to the mystique surrounding genghis khan's uh, tomb each adding a layer of intrigue to the quest for its discovery the khan's demise was veiled in secrecy with a legendary account suggesting that the funeral possession went to extreme lengths killing anyone it encountered to safeguard the confidential location of his burial even those involved in the construction of the tomb including the slaves and servants faced execution to uphold the secrecy of this site. Historical records uh, suggest the possibility that the Khan was being interred in multiple locations. A strategic approach aimed to aim to confound the potential grave robbers or adversaries seeking to disturb you know, the revered leader's final resting place. The vast expanses of the Mongolian steppes where he spent so much of his life pose a formidable challenge for modern archaeologists attempting to locate his tomb. The nomadic lifestyle of the Mongols and the absence of permanent structures further complicate the quest for historical treasure. Over the centuries, various political regimes and rulers in Mongolia actively discouraged or obstructed attempts to search for his tomb. This reluctance often stems from the belief that disturbing his resting place could invoke a curse or bring bad fortune underscoring deep cultural reverence for the iconic leader there's a really great episode of expedition unknown on this um and they go to a like a like a massive mountain and they they meet there's like a like a ceremonial guard almost of people who guard this mountain from outsiders and it's crazy it's like it like still after all this time they're they're there which is kind of wild and then they do like a scan on one of the mountains and there's like a mound at the top that they're like well oh, that might be that but they won't let them actually go on the mountain like they flew around in a helicopter and we're like oh so anyway that, that's my little tidbit on that um but yeah pretty pretty interesting so this uh next one is kind of like a not not a mystery where the body is because it's presumed to be in at least one of the two locations that people think it is <laughs> The tricky part is that neither of the places that holds the supposed remains will allow anybody to test them to confirm. So, Christopher Columbus, yes, that guy, uh, the Italian explorer credited with discovering the Americas in 1492, passed away on May 20th, 1506 in Spain. And initially, he was buried where he died, but then uh, his son was like, no, he wanted to live in the place where he found. So he was moved to the Dominican Republic. And it, it moved, his body moved several, several times, uh, moving back to Spain, and then once again, back to the Dominican Republic. And eventually, it was, eventually, 
stating in supposedly the Dominican Republic. I know that uh, during the Napoleonic Wars, uh, the French, when they invaded Spain, he <laughs> they were like, um, we're going to move him again. So they moved him one more time. Now, in 18, 1877, the Cathedral, in 1877, the Cathedral of Santa Maria la Menor in Santa Domingo claimed to house the remains of Christopher Columbus. There's a mausoleum with a lead box with an inscription that claimed uh, that had, you know, his name on it and claimed to have his bones in it. However, there's been historical controversy and debate over whether the true remains belong to Columbus. In 1992, massive and an impressive monument to Columbus was built for the 500 year anniversary of his voyage. The Columbus Lighthouse, which is actually no longer a lighthouse because uh, apparently the power required to make it run would actually black out the town, which is kind of hilarious, um, is the place where he his remains rest in the Americas anyway <laughs> while uh, the Seville Cathedral in Spain claims to have his remains for Europe in 2003 a forensic study was conducted on the remains in Dominican Republic but they were inconclusive and the mystery just continued to go you know but it was kind of crazy like that both places are like no nah, we're not gonna do it and I think that they're doing that because both of them are scared that they don't actually have him <laughs> like ah we're not gonna risk it we're just gonna pretend we got him still anyway moving to our last section from missing graves to mysterious objects these objects might be known for like known like how they worked but maybe not the reason why they were made or the person who created them the entire thing is a mystery potentially the first that comes to mind is of course the Void Inch Manuscript, which we talked about in the hoaxes episode, so I'm not going to go into more detail here, but, you know, nobody does know what happened or why it's there. Now, in research for this, I did read on Reddit, so take this with a grain of salt, but this person, you know, had an idea that I hadn't considered before, um, and had stated that even though it is very well done and professional looking for the time it was created, it could be the writings of someone experiencing a psychotic break. They describe patients that they work with who have had similar issues and that their uh, writings and drawings can often look very well done also. So the possibility is not completely written off for me, but we still don't know, nor will we ever probably. Another really interesting yet mysterious item in the in history is the Antikythera, Antikythera mechanism, which is an ancient Greek analog astrono astronomical calculator that dates back to the second century BCE. It was discovered in Antikythera, a shipwreck off the coast of the Greek island. Guess what? Antikythera, who would have thought? 1901. The device is considered one of the most significant archaeological finds in the 20th century. The Antikythera mechanism uh, was housed in a wooden box and consisted of a complex arrangement of gears, mechanisms, it was designed to track astronomical positions and cycles, including movement of the sun, moon, plate, uh, and planets. The device could also predict eclipses and provide information about lunar phases. The level of sophistication to displayed by the mechanism was far beyond that of previous thought to exist in ancient greek technology its intricate gears and dials showcased a deep understanding of celestial mechanics and its purpose was likely both scientific and educational now while the uh, exact origins and created creators of the mechanism remain uncertain or how many even ever existed um it is believed to have been a collaborative effort involving skilled craftsmen, astronomers, and mathematicians. Some theories suggest that it might have been created by ancient Greek scientist Archimedes or his followers. Now there's been a lot of research over the past uh, past century, you know, decades of research and analysis and advancement of imaging, uh, 
yeah, imaging technology have provided scholars with better understanding of how this thing works. You know, its discovery has reshaped our understanding of ancient Greek technological prowess and the sophistication of their knowledge in, in astronomy and mechanics. So while the Antikythera mechanism is not completely mysterious as it once was, um, still don't know who did it. Now, the next one, the Baghdad battery is still full of questions and confusion. The Baghdad battery is an ancient artifact that consists of a group of ceramic posts and jars with a copper cylinder and iron rod inside of it. It was discovered in the vicinity of Baghdad, Iraq, and is estimated to date back to, uh, the, the Parthian or Sasanian period around 200 BCE to 2224, yeah. 224 CE. The Baghdad battery gained attention for its peculiar design, leading to some researchers to propose the theory that it might have been used as some primitive form of battery. The basic construction resembles that of a galvanic cell, a device that can uh, generate small electrical current through chemical reaction. We actually learned about that in the Weird Experiments episode. That's the frog guy, Luigi Galvani. This However, predates him by almost 2,000 years, which is insane. Each jar of the Baghdad battery consists of a clay vessel with a stopper made of asphalt. Inside the jar, copper cylinder surrounds an iron rod. The components of the battery, copper, iron, and an acidic or alkaline substance could potentially create a simple electrochemical reaction when filled with an electrolyte such as vinegar or an, another acidic liquid. The purpose of the Baghdad battery, if it is indeed functioned as a battery, remains the subject of debate among historians and archaeologists. Some hypotheses suggest that it might have been used for electroplating or medicinal purposes or even has a as a religious object for electro electrotherapy however the lack of conclusive evidence and the scarcity of similar artifacts from the same period make it challenging to determine you know exactly what its purpose was while the battery theory is interesting alternative explanations propose that the jars serve different pur purposes such as storing sacred sacred skulls acting as container for papyrus scrolls but those don't really make sense like why would you have all of this specific stuff that like only works in one specific or works specifically in one way together i don't know i don't i don't really know but it is interesting you know, some objects don't even have a specific location or even one group of people there's been stone spheres characterized by their near perfect roundness scattered all across different locations around the world often linked to ancient cultures and archaeological mysteries notably the Dequi delta and the isla, the isla de Can cano in costa rica has one of the most famous sets of the these artifacts the ge geographical distribution of the stone spheres extends uh, like I said, to diverse parts of the globe, including Costa Rica, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Mexico, New Zealand, Easter Island. Nevertheless, Costa Rica, specifically the, the Dequi um, spheres crafted by the pre-Columbian Dequi culture from 600 to 1000 CE, stands out as a prominent and extensive studied example. These spheres exhibit varying size, ranging from a few centimeters to over two meters in diameter, typically grafted from igneous rock like uh, granodiorite or gabbro. Typically crafted from igneous rock, the manufacturing process of stone spheres remains a subject of debate. There is proposed shaping by artisans using stone or wooden tools or employing abrasive materials like sand. Despite this, the exact purpose of these artifacts remains elusive with conjectures ranging from religious or astronomical significance to functioning as markers for important locations or status symbols these locations uh, these specific roles may have varied between cultures and locations stone spheres are often 
unearthed in archaeological sites where they may be arranged geometrically or aligned with celestial events. In Costa Rica, they are notably, like I said, associated with the Dequi Delta, the indigenous people of Costa Rica attributed cultural significance to these spheres, considering them important artifacts entwined with mystery and legends. You know, despite persistent mystery surrounding their purpose and creation, ongoing research and archaeological investigations contributed to unravel the cultural and historical significance of the stone, stone spheres, not only in Costa Rica, but in all over these different places. And that's it. That's the list of today's history's mysteries. Uh, there are plenty more. Obviously, there's a lot. Uh, but I thought breaking up into categories would make it more interesting and also give me more to work with down the road if i want to you know expand on any of these or do another or do another mystery episode some of the ones that will always leave me scratching my head are the nazca lines i find that combination of the effort needed to create them and the unknown reason to do so such a you know interesting task the missing graves are less crazy just because of how much time has passed for most of them except columbus that one's that's pretty funny that neither country wants to <laughs> you know have the test uh, the remains tested but Library of Alexandria, I think, is, you know, number one for just about anybody who is a history nerd. You know, what was lost is not known, and that makes it just so much worse. It's crazy to think that so many modern construction sites are halted in Europe because they'll dig and find, like, Roman ruins underneath them. At some point, you gotta assume that they're all over the place and decide if we should just stop building new stuff or just ignore the really old stuff in some of these, you know, places. I don't know. It's hard because you don't know the significance of it until you fully, you know, investigate. Anyway, I think a general interest of the uh, cases like Jimmy Hoffer, John Benet Ramsey, or D.B. Cooper are probably pretty high in the United States, but... Unfortunately for many of the ancient mysteries, we will not know more until the sands of time give us more information. I know the uh, Dyatlov Pass one is one I would like to dive into further for sure, but if there are any episode, any in the episode that you found deserve more airtime that you'd like me to discuss and dive into, let me know. Comment, Facebook, email me, all of those things. With that, I'm out of mysteries for the week. What I do know is what will be discussed next week. Next week uh, will be the internment camps during world war ii specifically those in the united states i'll be covering the action up until that point and then describing why they were enacted who was the target you know targeted people and what happened within them as well as the fallout of the people and the camps afterwards i think it's important one to do especially around veterans day because i think it's uh you know when we look back on the a lot of united states history military action it's very easy to paint ourselves as pure in intention but we didn't always act with that in mind so showcasing some of the less pretty sides of that i think is a good way to understand our history in a more authentic way and the topic is listener suggested so if you have an idea that you'd want me to talk about on the show please email me remedialscholar at gmail.com all one word no lowercase no the at the beginning no podcast in it either just remedialscholar at gmail.com then don't forget to share us with uh you know your friends follow us on all the socials tell your friends i'm updating the youtube so hopefully that will be rolling better now i fell behind with it and everything was just it was just not i was just not giving the attention it deserved so anyway you can leave the comments there on facebook instagram like i said share us with your friends most importantly stay curious thank you bye